Amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, open up, calling a little bit of an audible this morning based on what we were planning to do. We're going to get back um, into John this week's Reach Week. Uh, today's our kickoff missions focus on Reach Week. Next week's Church Outside the Walls. Whitney and I will be out of town the next week after that. So we'll be continuing John later in October. But this whole week, I, I just couldn't shake the idea that I felt compelled preach today on missions, to preach on what we're trying to accomplish this week during Reach Week. So we're going to be, instead of in the Gospel of John, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 this morning. I'm sorry for those of you who already had your notes ready to take. You might have already written the text and title down. Save that page. We'll be back. We'll be back. That's a joke. I know y'all don't do that. Anyway scribbling furiously in your notebook before you come to church. I know that's not what you're doing. Okay, Revelation chapter 5, if you have your Bibles open, why don't you go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to you. Beginning in verse 1. And then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. They shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, verse 11, and heard around the throne... And the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever 
and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, would you open our hearts and our minds to receive your word today, God, and we pray that we would be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Nathan alluded to this earlier, and it's a reality that when we look around the world, sometimes we find ourselves discouraged. We find ourselves discouraged. I hear it all the time. Every church I go to, including this one at times, I so often hear about the past, how, how, how good things were, how many people we used to reach, how many people used to be there. When I go preach at other churches, that's so often what I hear. You say, if you think it's good now, preacher, you ought to have seen it. 50 years ago, we look around and we worry about the world we live in. We see the way that politics are being played out, and we worry about the world we live in. We see the way that morality is viewed in the, in, around us, and we worry about the world we live in. One summer when I was in college, I got the opportunity to go to Europe, and as I walked around Europe, one of the things you see when you're in Europe are churches. If any of you have been to Europe, you oftentimes find the churches. You want to go see these churches. And the thing that struck me the most is I saw these churches all across Europe. I would always ask, well, about how many people are here on a Sunday? And almost always it was very, very few. Churches are empty. I was especially struck by the old church in Amsterdam, Utterkirk. It's beautiful, but now... It's a place where there are art shows. It's not a church anymore. Church isn't held there. And the neighborhood all around the Utterkirk, the old church there in Amsterdam, the neighborhood all around it is a neighborhood known as the Red Light District, an area obviously notorious for sin. It's sobering. It's sobering to see massive structures built for God's glory, built for flourishing congregations that are now empty catacombs picturing the erosion of the influence of Christianity in the West. We look around and we see the state of religion. We see our baptism numbers as a denomination, and we worry about the way things are. But I have come here today to tell you that the future is bright. The future is bright. That, that's what I want you to know. That's what I want you to hear this morning. The future is bright I, I, I understand that we can be worried sometimes, but I want you to see the picture of the passage at hand here where people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation are gathered around the throne of Christ singing praises to the Lamb. This is the reward of the Lamb. This is what He will receive for His suffering. People from all over earth glorifying Him and enjoying Him forever. This is the glory of Christ we see displayed in this passage. And so we worry and worry and worry, but I want you to know Jesus wins. Jesus accomplishes his goal. The lamb receives his reward. And the reward of the lamb and the church's goal are two Venn diagram circles that overlap completely. It's one circle. What Jesus will receive is our goal. One author named John Piper said this. He said, missions exist because worship doesn't. 
Missions exists because worship doesn't. I want to press on you three points this morning. Three points about why we must reach others for Christ. Three reasons why. Here's the first. We must reach others because of the desperate need for Christ. We must reach others because of the desperate need for Christ. There are some things that we need to define as we look at this passage Verse, chapter 5, verse 1 says, Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back and sealed with seven seals. This scroll that has writing on it and is sealed with seven seals is a picture. It's imagery that represents to us the full and final enactment of God's plan for history and redemption. Now, we believe in God's sovereignty. We believe in God's providence here at First Baptist Church as Baptists. Those are doctrines we hold near, and so we see then this picture in a scroll of the, of the sovereign plan of God to bring about the final enactment of His plan, His providential plan for the ages. He's ready to enact God's great plan in history. And the one then who can open this scroll will be the one, the worthy one, who will usher in the culmination of all of God's blessings and all of God's curses. John, verse 2, he sees a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And what do we hear? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look into it. No one is worthy. And John begins to weep. Why is it, brothers and sisters, that no one is worthy to enact God's plan? Why is it that no one is able to open this scroll? Why is it that no one is even worthy to peer into this scroll? It is precisely because there is nobody in heaven or earth or even under the earth, there is nobody who is without sin. There is nobody who is perfect. There's nobody who is, who is worthy to participate in God's final plan of history. There's no one who's able to carry it out. And so John then is reminded of the reality of the fact that so many people are trapped in sin. Have we considered as a church, have we considered as individuals, the reality of the great need for Christ in the world? I'm convinced that one reason why we don't take seriously the call of Christ into the world to, to take the gospel to people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation is because we don't take sin seriously. And I think we don't take sin seriously because we don't take our own sins seriously. Now what we're good at is we're good at pretending to take sin seriously. We're great at pretending to take sin Seriously, we're good. I mean, we're excellent at being petty. We're excellent at being judgmental. We're good at clucking our tongues and saying people really ought not to behave that way. We're really good at pretending like we're better than others. But are we good at grieving over our own sin in such a way that the reality of hell is before us each day? 
that the reality and the depths of sin are before us each day. You see, all of those things are insufficient responses to sin. So perhaps it's not that we don't take sin serious, that we take sin too seriously, but that we don't take it seriously enough. Brothers and sisters, when was the last time we wept over our own sin? When's the last time we saw what a tragedy and a travesty it is to be sinners before God? When was the last time we really owned up to the fact that mankind is totally unable to achieve salvation for himself? When was the last time we really felt it all the way in our guts, the need which mankind has to know Christ? One of the elders said to me, verse 5, Weep no more. What is there to do about our sin? What, what is there to do about our lostness? What is there we can do about the fact that there's no one worthy? Who is there that can dry our tears? Who is there that can make this situation right? The elder says, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has done what? He has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Any of y'all ever been to the zoo? All right. I would encourage you to go. It's a cool place. There are animals there for you to see. I like to go to the zoo. We take our kids to the zoo sometimes. There is a moment every time I go to the zoo where I get just a little bit uneasy. And it's that moment when my tiny little morsel of a son, Jim Alexander, is standing there knocking on the glass or putting his mouth on the glass or whatever else. And on the other side... Is a very large, very capable lion. And I can see, just like in the old cartoons, my little morsel of a son, Jim, transform into a T-bone steak right there. Actually, Jim, for a lion, is more like a little crystal slider, but you know what I mean. I can just see him turn into something delicious for this lion to eat. I want you to feel this imagery. He's... He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and he's conquered. So we're conjuring up this image of a regal, vicious lion. We're rooting up, we're, we're bringing up this imagery of the greatest military and political leader in Israel's history, King David. It, it, the closest we can get to David here in our own country is, is talking about somebody like George Washington, who was a great warrior and a great leader. And it says what he has done. He has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. We see then that the need that we have for Christ... The need that we have for our sin to be undone has been undone by the line of the tribe of Judah. That leads us to our second point. We must reach others because of the glorious provision in Christ. We must reach others. We must evangelize. We must go on missions. We must send people all over the world because of the glorious provision in Christ. Keep this image then of this conquering line in your mind. And imagine with me for a moment John. Who's on the ground weeping. Who's sad. Who's 
torn up over the reality of sin. And he hears the voice of the elder and he starts to try to pull it together. And he says, weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And so the announcement of the warrior king has been made. And as John turns to look and to see this lion, this conquering king between the throne, verse 6, and the four living creatures and among the elders, as he turns turns to see this warrior king, he sees a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. That is, the one who is the lamb, the, the lion who is conquering, is conquering precisely because he is the lamb who was slain. That is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that the Lord of all creation doesn't simply wipe us all out. He doesn't simply conquer. He conquers through his humility and through his suffering. The sin of rebels had led the conquering king to be slaughtered at the cross like a sacrificial lamb. Our sin put Jesus on the cross. Jesus did not deserve to be slain. As you can see from this passage, he is all-powerful, signified by seven horns, seven, when the, when the number seven's involved in imagery in the Bible, it's often a sign of perfection. So Jesus is infinitely powerful. This sign of a horn is a sign of power in biblical imagery. So seven horns, and he's all-seeing. He can see everything with seven eyes, and he's entirely perfectly, completely holy. These seven spirits are representative of the perfection of the Holy Spirit who goes into all the earth from the Father and the Son. And so he's perfectly powerful and he can see everything and knows everything and he's infinitely holy and deserves not to die. And yet he chooses to be slain in order that God might be glorified as he redeems sinners from every tribe, tongue, language, nation. We were in such desperate need of salvation that the Lord Jesus had to take the wrath of God on himself for us to be saved. It was through this humility they became the conqueror. And then we see in verses 7 through 10 that Jesus is worthy to take the scrolls. And he's worthy to enact and to unlock God's plan for the ages. Worthy are you, the elders say around the throne. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Verse 9. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Jesus is worthy to take the scroll because he was slain. And I hope and pray that this gospel of the one who humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross, I pray that this gospel will animate our churches and animate our lives and help the calculations that go into people deciding to give up everything they have in this country and go to another one to take the gospel there. And I, I pray it helps to make those calculations start to make sense in our own hearts and minds so that we can be compelled to take the, the gospel of Jesus to people everywhere 
everywhere because their great need requires a glorious provision and it's there for the taking by faith in Christ. He's sending us, he's sending us to tell people about his blood that was shed for sinners. That leads us to our final point. We must reach out because of the infinite worth of Christ. We must reach out because of the infinite worth of Christ. I want you to hear what the Bible says. Begin in verse 11. John looks and he hears, and around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then verse 13, And I heard every creature, that includes mankind, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. That means then that creatures called angels, that if one were to walk in this room right now, we would all be horrified and mesmerized. We would be overwhelmed by the glory of an angel if it came in here right now. Some people throughout the Bible, when they see an angel, they fall down like they're dead because of what they've seen. Myriads and myriads and myriads, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels are spending their time and spending their breath and expressing unto God, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then on top of that, you have every creature that God ever made, every person, every soul, every living thing, everything, it stretches back until the first thing was made, until the last thing is made. Every single thing, including all those who were scanned to see if they were worthy to open the scroll, God has taken unworthy sinners, the entirety of creation, and by the power of his blood has demonstrated to us, to all, to all of us, his worth in such a way that they are praising him and saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and ever. Brothers and sisters, as long as our view of God is small and paltry, our efforts in missions will be small and paltry. They'll be insufficient because Christ's worth is infinite. We must have the engine of the glory of God to drive us toward the gospel. Can you see, do you see the reward of the great and glorious lion who is the lamb, who around his throne has myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands proclaiming his worth. And here we sit at the First Baptist Church of Gadsden during Reach Week with the most glorious news to have ever reached the ears of men and what a tendency we have to sit on it. To sit on it. To put magnificent news in our pocket. Leave it there. What a tendency your pastor has to do the very same thing. We know the worth and the glory of Christ. And yet we don't go tell others about who He is. 
Brothers and sisters, will we do our part? Because of the great need for Christ, because of the great provision of Christ, because of the infinite worth of Christ, will we do our part to get the gospel to the nations? I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never trusted Jesus for the first time, this altar is open to you. You say, Brother Matt, God's put a call on my life and I've been running from it. Or I've just learned it this morning. This altar is open for you. I'd love to pray with you and talk with you. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. And God, I pray... Lord, that you would move in our hearts and minds today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.